Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Now this week, um, the uh, the notes, there's not, it's all scripture, which I don't apologize for at all. There's a lot we're going to read through tonight. Um, there's not a whole bunch to write down. You still have a pen because I do understand that the Spirit of God might inspire something in you to write down. <clears throat> and so I want you to have the ability to do that. So, uh, but tonight, um, a lot of the times that you come to RCC, um, the vast majority of times, um, I am speaking in a kind of a teaching role. There's so much teaching and stuff that needs to be um, accurately presented and corrected and, and kind of reformatted from the things that kind of a lot of us grew up on. And uh, that was kind of tradition and not scripture. So I deal a lot with that. But tonight, um, the thing that God has dropped on my heart is kind of more on the preaching end. So this will take me back a little bit. So it'll be a little bit, a little, little fun for me um, to kind of get into some of that, uh, some of that preaching. So I want to I start you off with a story <clears throat> from a man who was a Christian guy who um, was shipwrecked on an island in the middle of the ocean. He was the only survivor of the shipwreck, and, you know, he, he washed up on the shore and quickly realized he was by himself. <clears throat> he didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have any, any way to contact anyone. There was no phones or anything that he could, he could um, reach out to anyone for, for any help to rescue. So he just began to pray fervently, God, rescue me, God, rescue me, send someone to rescue me from this place. Out in the middle of nowhere, kind of a small island. There's no one else on this island with me. It's just him on this island, shipwrecked. <clears throat> he prays the first day. The second day turns into a week and two weeks. And he's, he's realizing that he needs to kind of survive on this island before he, gets, before he gets rescued. And so he's praying every day to be rescued. But he goes into the, in, into the island a little bit and finds some trees that have been blown over by a storm or that were old and rotting. And so he drugged them as much as he could to the, to the shore and built himself some shelter. He then uh, realized, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna have to eat. So he found a little uh, sharp rock and whittled himself like a little spear and went out into the ocean and was trying to pay attention to when the tides were coming in and when they were leaving and where the, where, where the, 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 the fish would gather on certain areas of the, of the shore. And so he would stand there and try to spear them. And he got pretty good at it. He would go into the, into the island and he, and he would build little traps and he would hunt for small game. And he started to have to learn how to build fire by himself, how to hunt, how to keep his, how to keep his shelter going. And <clears throat> so he had spent, he had been there a couple of months at this point, And he was kind of getting it into a routine and a rhythm of how he would hunt, how he would eat, when he would build his fire, and when he would stay up under the shelter and all that. And he would pray every day, God, rescue me, rescue me. And he'd go to the edge of the beach, look out over the ocean, and see nothing. Just him, by himself, shipwrecked on this island. <clears throat> One morning he gets up and decides he's going to go check his, his trap for, the, um, for hunting for the night before. And so he got up and looked down at the fire and saw that it was mostly out. So he went off into the woods, but he didn't really pay attention too well because there were some smoldering embers on that fire. And as the wind blew, picked up a few of those embers and dropped on his hut. 
and very quickly his hut and completely engulfed in flames. He, he was out hunting and he smelled something funny and looked back and saw some of the smoke rising. And so he ran back as fast as he could to see his shelter, the hut he had spent weeks and weeks building up in flames. He was already praying every day. I'm already by myself. I'm already asking to be rescued, God. I'm already asking you for, for help. And now my, my ship's already been wrecked. I'm out here by myself. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> for all those, yeah, yeah, forget it. It's a movie reference. Um, <laughs> for Dumb and Dumber fans in the room. You know, all this stuff is going on, and everything is going against me. I'm out here by myself. And now, not only am I not rescued, not only am I sitting out here by myself, not only am I having to hunt and fish for my own food, and now my shelter torches, and it's just this big billowing cloud of smoke, and he drops to his knees, and he's unbelievably angry. He starts yelling at God and screaming at God, why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? Catastrophe after catastrophe, problem after problem. Why in the world would you let this happen to me during this time? And he's just he's face down in the sand and he's pounding the sand and he's so angry that he's starting to cry and scream and throw things and he's just by himself just freaking out after a while he realizes he's covered in sand and so he walks out to the ocean again and gets into the ocean and starts to wash the sand over himself and dumps himself all violently under the water ah, jumps up you know and and about that time he hears something he looks off in the distance he sees a little boat this boat's coming closer and closer and closer. So he's realizing, man, I'm not hallucinating this. This is really happening. So he goes back up on the shore and he's waving palm branches and he's, you know, and, and anything he can and screaming at the top of his lungs, waving his arms. Come and they come right to him and they get him off the island, put him on this little boat and they take him back to a massive ship that's in the ocean. They, they help him get up onto the ship, and he is high-fiving everybody, thanking him, hugging him when he sees him. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And they take him right to the, captain's, um, to the, to the captain, and they say, and he goes, man, thank you so much for, for, um, for, for rescuing me. Thank you for coming out here and looking for us. Were you sent by someone when they realized that the other ship sank? And he said, no, we didn't know there was another ship that sank. Like, how did you find me? He said, we were just kind of cruising through this, you know, not traveled very often area of the ocean and saw this giant plume of smoke up in the air and thought, man, what's out here? Somebody must be in trouble. And so we just diverted and came and found you. At the moment it happened, the man is wildly upset that his hut is burnt to the ground because he spent all this time, all his fishing equipment in the, was in there, all his hunting equipment is in there, everything that he was able to compile and, and make himself a little bed to lay on was in there. And he was so upset, but he didn't realize that even though it appeared that he had encountered something that was destructive, it was actually the key to his rescue. The title of the message tonight is Things Aren't Always As They Appear. Things aren't always as they appear. <clears throat> Sergio and I were laughing at a, um, a social media site a couple of weeks ago when we were at the Thrive office and passing out flyers. And after we were done, we were looking at this site and um, it, it does these, it gives like little history nuggets. 
for things you didn't know throughout history. And I didn't know this, but, and maybe you didn't either, but in World War II, the United States Army <clears throat> used decoys, like fake tanks, fake artillery, fake jeeps, fake, um, uh, 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 I don't know if they had soldiers or not, but all this equipment that was fake, and they would put it in certain areas, and when the enemy would drive by, they would see it off in the distance and they would turn their attention away from the real war to engage in an empty distraction. These things were literally made um, out of inflatables. And so the, the video is really funny when this you know, soldier walks up to this big old tank and then pushes it over and picks it up because it's nothing more than an overstuffed balloon and carries it off by himself. You're thinking, oh my goodness. Why in the world would they do that? Because they're trying to make it appear that there is danger. They're trying to make it appear we're in this direction. They're trying to make it appear like we are gathered here. And what does it do? It takes the attention away from the real war, the real fight, the real direction, and puts it on something that is a distraction. These guys spend, the, the enemy spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of strategy trying to figure out a way to blow up these things that they didn't know were fake. They were emptying their artillery on these, on these, these, these fake encampments. And in turn, they did not have as much artillery to engage the real enemy. Just because something appears to be a threat doesn't mean that it is. Just because something appears to be right on the edge of overcoming you doesn't mean that it is. It could just be a distraction from your enemy. Well, Matt, that sounds, uh, that sounds all nice. You know, these nice little anecdotal stories, a nice little comparison there and a one-liner. What's that have to do with scripture and with God and with this Christmas season that we're in. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because changing things that appear one way into something else is God's specialty. He does this all the time, all throughout scripture. And we could sit here and, and do a whole series on these, on these things, but I'm only going to look at two of them with us tonight. We're going to look at an Old Testament example of how God took something that appeared one way and made it go another when he stepped in. And then we'll look at a New Testament one where he did the exact same thing. Okay? <clears throat> the first example in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah chapter 36. This is um, the story of King Hezekiah. He was the ruler over a portion of Israel, God's children at that time. And another king of Assyria, his, his name is Sennacherib. Now, I'm pretty sure... But that's not the pr correct pronunciation in Hebrew. That's the southern redneck kind of coming out of me, right like that. Sennacherib, you know what I mean? And when I said Sennacherib, I thought, that sounds like a lunch item at McDonald's, right? And if you don't want the full McRib, you can get a Sennacherib, you know what I mean? And just order a small one, right? And you can... And, Anyone who's like a scholar will read that, will listen to me later and roll their eyes. But you will never forget this name ever in your life, right? Who was the king of Syria? 
Sennacherib. Right. So that's how we're going to address him all night because I don't know how to pronounce his real name, right? It looks like Sennacherib to me. So Sennacherib, um, in those, <laughs> so in those days, King Sennacherib, there you go. King Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And Assyria, at that point in time, was the strongest army. They were overrunning fools left and right. They were conquering nations. They were conquering cities. They were conquering armies. They were conquering militaries. Their military was at an all-time power. And they didn't just come in and run you over. Before they came, they tried to intimidate you first. During this massive period of, of conquest, King Sennacherib, there you go, uh, turned his sights on conquering the nation of Israel. So he sends his messengers to the, the wall of the city and deliver, to deliver a message to the king. When they would deliver this message, they would go and they would not just say, can I talk to your king? They would deliver it to the army, the military members that were at the edge of their gate or at the edge of, excuse me, their wall. And they would shout it loud enough so that the people who weren't a part of the military, just part of the city, who were at the wall would hear the threat. They weren't just coming to threaten the army. They wanted fear to run through everybody. They came to intimidate everyone in the highest degree. I don't know if this is wise or stupid. I think it's the latter. But King Hezekiah's army saw the messengers approaching and said, Hey, kind of realize what you're here to do. If you wouldn't mind, could you just talk to us in your native language, Assyrian, because we understand it. We don't want you to talk it in Hebrew where these guys can understand it. If you could just talk to us. And these guys laughed. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not here to intimidate you. I'm here to intimidate everybody. So they walk up to the wall, and here's what happens. Isaiah 36, 12 through 20. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only to you and you are master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when, not if, but when we put this city under siege... They will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah, your king, deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you. Let's pause right there. Had he stopped right there, you'd think, oh, this is an intimidation tactic. He's already crossed the line, mouthing off to the children of Israel, but now he goes way over the line because of what he says now. Let's keep going. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. The city will never fall to the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, 
a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards. Then he doubles down. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nations saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? What about the gods of Seraphim? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my, pay, my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? All of us at this point might go, ooh, you done, you done ticked off the wrong person, right? We would say that reading this because we have thousands of years of evidence that God shows up for his people. We got the whole Old Testament. We got all the New Testament. We got the life of Jesus, the, the virgin birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We got stories upon stories of people that we know in recent history and modern history who God has come through and rescued them in certain ways. They don't have all of that. They got some of it. All they have is the ability to look right now, remember a couple of, uh, of stories that they have been told about the, the children being let out of Egypt. But at that point, none of those guys had lived that long. None of the people who walked through the waters of the Red Sea were still alive at this point. They're all gone. Up until this point, it's only a story about what God did for other people. And now it's on me. Is that really going to happen with me? The intimidation doesn't stop. As King Sennacherib from Assyria decides to send another letter directly to Hezekiah. Isaiah 37, 8 through 12. Meanwhile, the Assyrian chief of staff left Jerusalem and went to consult the king of Assyria, who had left Lashish and was attacking Libna. Soon afterward, King Sennacherib received word that King Tikra of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done to whoever uh, have done wherever they've gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them, such as the nations of Gozen and Haran, Rezpha, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? My predecessors destroyed them all. He's not lying. That really happened. All of those nations have been overrun by the Assyrian kings. This man is not even worried about the war he's about to be in. He's about to go to war with the king of Ethiopia. And he goes, oh, before we do that, let me write a letter to the next guy I'm going to conquer after I'm done with these guys. He was so, so confident of the strength of his military and the strength of his, of his warriors and the people planning out his wars 
that he wasn't even fully engaged in the Ethiopian war, he's writing letters to the next city. Can you imagine that? Heading out to war and be like, oh, wait a second. After we win this war, this other city we're going to stop and knock off on the way home. Let me just write him a letter real quick. What? You need to be fully engaged here. No, no, no. That's how confident he was. He's not lying. Everybody knows that the Assyrian army is this strong. Everybody knows that there is this great, powerful Assyrian military that's overrunning people. They understand no one has, 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 has had a chance. They understand that they have spared no one. They understand how ruthless they are. And to get an offer, to just let us come in, we'll let you live. We won't run you off. We'll find you a place that's kind of like this to move you to. We're going to take your area, move y'all to some other place, and y'all can live however you want to live, but we're going to conquer you right now. Every single one of them, everyone, knew that what they were saying was the truth. At that point, if you were one of the Hebrew people on the wall, or you were one of the military members, what are you thinking? This looks bad. This looks real bad. We're about to get overrun. We're about to die. These people are going to make us eat our own dung and drink our own urine. This, I don't want to do that. Why don't we take the deal they gave us? At least we can live. There's another part of the story that I didn't put in here where the king, of, the king of Assyria offers to give Hezekiah 2,000 horses to make the battle a little bit more even. And then he says, he mocks him, I'll send you 2,000 horses. Do you even have enough men in there to put on 2,000 horses? You don't have some big army. We're going to come in there and overrun you. All y'all are dead. And they knew it was the absolute truth. It looked bad. So now Hezekiah's got a choice. Does he go out in glory and flaming swords and guns ablazing? Let's just go attack and then they'll wipe us out, but at least we go, go out as men. Did he make a deal with them? Did he take the deal that was offered? Did he try to negotiate his own safety? And maybe I can just, you know, be I'll just stay here and be a ruler and you occupy this area. No, he didn't do any of that. Here's what he did. Isaiah 37, 14 through 29. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words in defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them because they weren't gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, 
rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent his message, this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you gave a big offering at the temple. No? Because you took the best of what you had and sacrificed it to God. No? Because you what? Prayed. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. Now, I, I kept this in here because this is gangster before there were ever gangsters that you ever heard about. Listen to this. This is what the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The, the daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? And at whom did you look at with such haughty eyes? Let me modernize that up for you. Bruh, who you think you talking to? <laughs> who you looking at like that? Who you talking to? Who you trying to talk smack to? You have no clue who you just ran into. Who were you talking to? He answers the own question. It was the Holy One of Israel. Your messengers have defied the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I've conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peak of Babylon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, uh, cedars and its finest cypress trees. I've reached its farthest heights and explored its deepest forests. I've dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself <coughs> excuse me, with their water. With the sole of my foot, I've stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago, I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush the fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They're as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They're like grouse, grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well where you stay when you come and go pause he's saying i know where you live bro i know where you sleep i know what your schedule is i know when you get up i know when you go to the bathroom i know when you have your little walks in the morning i know when you try to flirt with the lady at the bodega down the street or whatever it is i know all that happens i am watching you I know you have raged against me, and because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I've heard for myself, I'll put my hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road by which you came. I don't know about you, but if God said that to somebody, I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> what he said, right? Right, I would get real big. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. God starts mouthing off like that. Like, oh, heck yeah, bro. Where, where do I get my tickets to the gun show, right? Like, I'm going to sit over here and watch this go down. <clears throat> and then God steps in, and here's what he does. Isaiah 37, 36 to 38. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185 thousand assyrian soldiers when the surviving assyrians woke up the next morning they found corpses everywhere 
Then King Sennacherib of Assyria, uh, who was mouthing off, broke camp and returned to his own land. You know what that means? He retreated and he ran. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adremelech and Sherezar, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, Eshardan, became the king of Assyria. Midway through that entire story that we just went to, midway, what does it look like? Israel is cooked. Everything is true. They have overrun people left and right. They have murdered people. They have, they have taken captives. They have done whatever they want, when they want, how they want, to who they want. And that was the truth. It looked bad, like it was over. This is the end of God's people. This is the end of this run. We are no longer going to have this land of Canaan. None of that works out. And then God's chi child steps in and prays and when he prays he is talking to god in faith asking him to get involved and what happens all of that stuff that looks so bad immediately flipped on its ear no it wasn't just the end of israel going to happen anymore he prays and invites God into this scenario, and what happens? Oh, no, it winds up being the end of most of the Assyrian army. And Israel didn't have to pick up a sword, a shield, a sling, a rock. They didn't have to do one thing because God stepped in and said, just because it looks like one thing doesn't mean that when I get involved, it stays the same. Because when we invite him into the situation that looks like it's going to overrun us, he works it out for our good and his eternal purpose. So why are we not inviting God into the struggle, into the thing that we're facing right now? Well, man, that's the Old Testament. There ain't nobody around here named Sennacherib or... Hezek, you know, not a lot of Hezekiahs running around here. Hezekiah Walker. I got, I got one. There are not a lot of Hezekiahs running around here. Not a lot of Sennacheribs. Not a lot of people talking about the Assyrian army anymore. It's all Ukraine and Russia, right? Well, in the New Testament, God does something very similar. Paul, the apostle, is traveling with his ministry companion, um, Silas. Where is Silas? Man, I had that ready for him. Like, bro, it's you. Anyway, it's you. You watch this later. Um, Paul and Silas are walking through, or are, are preaching the gospel in all these different places, and this lady is demon possessed, and they're trying to preach and speak and talk to people about the gospel and share the message of of Jesus. And what happens? This lady comes up behind them, and every time they try to talk, they go. She starts shouting and screaming. Can you imagine that if, um, uh, that if we're sitting here in church and every 30 seconds there's some lady who stands up and, be, and starts shouting and screaming every time I try to preach? How long would it take for one of you, Anita, to kick her in the shins and like drag her outside, right? It would be Anita if, you know, everybody would do that, right? Shut up, move out the way. 
because it's annoying. I can't hear what they're saying. This situation is happening with Paul and Silas in Acts 16. We'll pick it up in verse 16 to 24. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. And she just did that over and over again. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. This whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Paul is annoyed by this demon-possessed woman who's screaming every time he's trying to talk. Cast the demon out of the woman. Now she's free. It's a good thing. Gets rid of the demonic spirit that's plaguing this whole place and fortune tellers and all this kind of stuff. But the guy who owned her and was making money off her as a fortune teller said, you mess with my money, and now I'm mad. And then drags them into, in front of this little court in front, of the, in front of the marketplace, and they are immediately taken after doing something good, bringing the gospel of Christ, preaching about the good news of Jesus, talking about freedom that can be had in God, and they cast this woman, this demon out of this woman, so now she's free. All these things are good, and then they get stripped, mostly, almost naked, beaten severely with wooden rods, and then not only thrown into prison, but taken to the, inter, the inner dungeon and shackled to the wall. They weren't there for 10 minutes. They sat there on that floor, bug infested rat infested with the stench of humanity rotting around them in prison chained to the wall by their feet how did they get up and go to the bathroom they did it why they could not go anywhere they had to go right where they were laying you think that didn't attract more bugs more flies, more, more moths, more type of, of, of rodents and animals that are crawling over there. And then on top of that, they're bruised. They're possibly fractured ribs from taking a beating. Open wounds that are bleeding. Infections going throughout their body. They're laying there in the middle of this. And the people have said they don't get out. Make sure they don't get out of the prison. They got to stay right there. At this point in the story, what does it look like? This appears to be very bad. 
it looks like at the moment that they are laying in a dungeon, shackled to the wall, bruised, bloodied, broken, beating, it looks like, do we make it out of here? Do we make it out of this scenario? Or when we got up this morning, we didn't realize this might be our one of our last days to live. At this point, it looks like it's over. It looks like we've been given a guard to make sure we don't escape. It looks like all of this stuff is going to end badly for us. But then, Acts 16, 24, or 25 through 34, we see what they did. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were what? What did King Hezekiah do? What did Paul and Silas do? At around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his home. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. <clears throat> Here's Paul and Silas and all his ministry friends doing the good work of God, getting beaten for no reason, and left in jail. And at that point, it looks really bad. Really bad. But they pray God steps into the middle of it, and just because it looks like it's going to end in death, just because it looks like it's going to end in some tragedy, <coughs> excuse me, just because it looks like their lives are about to end, God steps in and says, uh-uh. When I step in, it doesn't matter how it appears. Everything has to go how he says. He can pivot. He can turn. He can change. He can shake. He can move, he can remove, he can create, he can destroy. He's got all the power. You're his child if you are a believer and follower of him. <coughs> you are his child. And when you ask him to get involved, it doesn't matter what it looks like because he can do what he darn well pleases. And his goal is what? Your good and his eternal purpose. What's the common theme between both these Old and New Testament accounts? They prayed. They prayed. Now, we run a danger here of just plugging in our own details into the story. I'm not saying if the repo man is coming to get your car that God's going to turn him back around the, the same way he came. 
you know, like he did the Sennacherib. And you wave at him. You're like, yeah, you're a relative of Sennacherib, aren't you? Get out of here, right? And save your car. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that the foundations of the bank are going to shake. And a half million dollars are going to bounce right into your account. And it'll just stay there because no one knows how it got there, but they're afraid to take it away. I'm not saying your sickness will be immediately healed. I'm not saying it'll work out how you wished it would work out. What I am saying is that when you are his child and you pray in faith, expressing that faith, God hears his children and an expert in orchestrating things that appear unlikely and impossible gets involved and he starts doing his thing. This happened at the beginning of Jesus' life. How does this apply to, to, to Christmas, Matt? Because listen to the conditions that Jesus is brought into. And, you tell, and I'll tell you what it looks like. Mary says the Spirit of God. Wait a minute. Um, Mary gets pregnant before her wedding. Looks like infidelity. Mary, um, Mary says, the Spirit of God caused me to be pregnant. Looks like lunacy. Joseph plans to break off the engagement. Looks like divorce. Joseph marries Mary even though she's pregnant. Looks like scandal. Jesus born and put in a feeding trough as an infant. Looks like obscurity. The entire situation of Jesus' birth looked like one thing and turned out to be another. It looked insignificant. It looked like it was going to be over before it started. Because why? King Herod is trying to kill all the firstborn babies under the age of two because he heard that the Messiah was coming and he didn't want to lose his throne. It looked like there was all kinds of things stacking up against him. And what does he do? He gets in the middle of something and it all turns out differently. He orchestrates it to your good and for his eternal purpose. His whole life was built in that framework. Even in his death, his, cru his crucifixion appeared like an end. It appeared like a horrific loss. It appeared like a disappointment, but it turned out to be the greatest win in all of human history. So my encouragement to us today is get him involved in every scenario, even if it looks like it's not going to work out very well for you. <clears throat> because he is an expert at taking the things that look one way and making them come out an entirely different way. He may not rescue you. He may give you a plan. He may not for fix your financial struggles. He may teach you how to budget. He might not solve the, the marriage problem. He might show you how to get close to him and then love your wife or love your husband in the way that he said. He may not open the door that's been closed in front of you. He might reroute you and show you a different way. It doesn't matter how he does it. He very rarely does it, if at all, the way we think we would love it to be orchestrated. I can come up with a really good story for myself. I can, I can make it be awesome. And I can say, I can point right to him. 
but it would benefit me. Woo, man, it would benefit me really good, right? All y'all could do the same thing. Well, if I could just have this job or win this lottery, not the next one. I don't need the 1.5 billion. If I just had the 80 million, I'm good, right? Like if I just had the little one, God, I promise, I might even ask for the big one. If I could just have this, if it could just work out this way, if this could just go right, if this person could just call, if I could just get this email, if I could get this opportunity, if this person would just say they're sorry, whatever the scenario is, it very rarely works out that way because your thoughts are not his, are not his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. And the creativity of the creator trumps the created creativity every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. When he steps in, it doesn't matter how it looks. <clears throat> there was a, a story that um, happened two weeks ago. We were out in uh, the beginning of end, of end of November, beginning of December, out doing the outreach on 15th Avenue and Bell. Almost all of you guys were there, and we had... We had uh, a lot of food that people were cooking. People could come by and get groceries for their house. They could come by and get clothes. They can come by and get all sorts of things. And we went and invited a whole bunch of people. We went to the, 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 the apartment complex right there and invited a whole bunch of people. And we went out there, and Polly Praise was there. Everybody was there. And, Se and Selu stood up and started preaching the gospel message. This woman came out of that apartment complex and said, you know what? I'm tired of the struggle. Tired of all this. Let her mind go to a very dark place and started contemplating ending her life. And so she got out of the apartment and she just started walking down the street. And she just walked by what place? 15th Avenue and Bell. And she said, I looked off on the edge and I saw these people cooking and I saw this, this guy on a stage and I heard this music and stuff. And I was like, I don't know what they're doing. That's weird. And I started to go walking and she's like, there's something inside me that turned and said, I have to go here. It was almost like, like I don't know if y'all believe in God. This is what she's telling Nina. But I feel like God just kind of turned me and like drew me to this place. And I sat there and I experienced something I hadn't seen in a long time. It wasn't the clothes, although I needed them. It wasn't the, the food, although I needed it. It wasn't a hot meal, although I needed it. No, I heard that man talking about God and how there's hope in him and how if I'm considering ending my life that I should kick those thoughts outside and return to God because he can give me hope. I don't, all the stuff, if I don't get any of the stuff, that I need. If I don't get any of the food or the clothes that I need, what I got that day was hope and a connection to something that I am part of something that's outside of myself. And now I'm not thinking about that anymore. Why? Because when you listen to God's pulling, when you listen to his direction, when he gets involved, guess what? It doesn't matter how things look anymore because he can change it instantly. So why in the world are we as his children stressing, freaking out, trying to figure out our own way to go? My assumption here and my hunch is 
is that God would drop this message on my lap for us and for anyone who listens to this later because you are facing something that looks like it's going to turn out one way and that ain't very good but your encouragement today from his word is to pray get him involved and then ask him what we need to do instead of trying to figure out how to make it all work by our own strength what did isaiah tell king hezekiah because you prayed about this because you brought this to god before because you laid out the letter the entire scenario before god <clears throat> because you brought that to him now he's stepping in god i got this figured out if you could just bless this couple of things and make a couple of things push a domino over in this direction then it'll work out no pray to him obey what he says follow his direction when you sit on christmas and think about the life that was born that God sent his son for us and born of a virgin sitting in a manger. It looked one way and it became another. I'm telling you right now, if you are at your wits end, if you are hopeless, if there is no way out of whatever you've gotten yourself into or the situation around you has deteriorated into a dead end, it's time for you to ask God to get involved in it now and let him start the work instead of us trying to figure out how to get out on our own. The encouragement for you today is to remember that little baby in the manger because he is the source of every shred of hope that you and I have regardless the situation. He is the source of hope. Pray if you are not his child become a believer follow him express that out of your mouth believe in your heart and say out of your mouth god i believe in you i'm going to follow you make me new forgive me of my sins if you've already done that that hope is available for you right now god did not come to this earth live 33 years ascend up into heaven after he resurrected and then leave all y'all to figure it out on your own I gave you a book and a bunch of people who were flawed to preach to you. You guys figure it out going up here, going forward from here. No, you have his spirit. He is Emmanuel. We talked about that last week. He is with you. So pray to him and get him involved, whatever the scenario is, now. Don't wait. Don't wait. I'm not mad yelling at you. I am passionate about you having the hope that is accessible to you right now opening those gifts on christmas will never be sweeter when there's hope in you and not worry looking at the at the family member that you have restored your relationship with or the friend that you've restored the the burnt bridge with or being in the scenario that god is orchestrating for you for your future will never be sweeter when he is the one who orchestrates it for you What did we say? If God talked like that, like he talked to the king of Assyria, like Sennacherib, like I'll snap your ribs, right? Like, like I'll change this all around for you. <clears throat> like I'll wipe you out. What would we do? We'd be behind him going, yeah, bro. Now what? Now what? 
That same confidence when God acts is how we have to have confidence in him. Not arrogance, but a humility of he's going to orchestrate something that I can't. Who am I that he would do that for me? You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And all of the hope of the entire world is available for you now. So don't struggle anymore. Don't worry anymore. Don't try to figure it out on your own anymore. Go to him and ask him what he wants done and then do that. And I guarantee you, if you follow his plan, even though it looks crazy, uh, I'm going to give you a pillar of fire in the day, at night, and a giant cloud in the day to follow me around the desert when you leave Egypt. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I'm going to part all this water and let you walk through on dry, dry land. And um, I'm going to let you wait here for that to happen for the rest of the guys to start attacking you. Okay. I'm going to let you go hiking on the island in the morning and let your entire hut burn to the ground. Why? Because there's something on the other end of it. Things aren't always how they seem. They aren't always how they appear. <clears throat> I normally ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? And to stay quiet at that moment and ask. And if he speaks something to you or leads your mind or heart in a way, obey that 100%. 100%. Tune me right out right now. But my hunch is there's people in this room facing things that seem hopeless that seem insurmountable, that seem that they're going to end in some way. And you need the hope, not of Christmas, but of Jesus, who is the reason we celebrate in you now. And if that's you, all you have to do is say, God, I'm in this situation, and I need you to get involved in it. He may tell you, you got yourself into this hole. And you know how many times he's looked at me and said, you got yourself in this hole, you better get yourself out? None. You got yourself into this hole. Here's how you got it into, your, this, into this hole. Repent. Let's deal with this sin. And somehow at the end of it, there's a staircase that led me right out of the pit I was in. Why? It don't matter how it looks. Invite him in now. Don't wait.